CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the show. It is Thursday, May 12th in the longest week in crypto history. We are here as The Hash. We are here to get you up to speed on all the crazy stuff that continues to go down the crypto markets and beyond. I'm Zach Seward. That's George Kalutis. We got Jen Sanasi and Will Foxley. He's going to give us our update on all them red candles. Will, take it away, sir. This is your coin watch segment. So we've been talking about Terra Luna all week, but let's talk about another stable coin, Tether. It's also having de-pegging problems. When is low's 94 cents last night? It's regained that peg almost the spot. It's down a few bips from a dollar. So people are still a little bit concerned, but for the most part, it's back to where it should be. So what happened and why does it matter? Tether is one of the largest, or it is the largest stablecoin out there, is used on almost every exchange for moving in and out of crypto. It's like the liquidity bed for all cryptocurrencies. And yesterday we saw on a few exchanges, liquidity dried up. Some people were selling Tether in mass. Bitfinex, which is a sister company of Tether Inc., the company that controls Tether, started buying up a bunch of Tether, trying to hold that peg. And it seems like it was mostly successful they're able to smooth out the liquidity problems and get Tether back to its dollar peg. So why does this matter? Again, Tether is like the bed of liquidity for all crypto tokens. It has the largest pairings for almost everything besides Bitcoin. And you really need it to move in and out of any sort of crypto coin. If it starts drying up, then people can use them. All these coins start falling apart. Tether is also on the regulatory like scope watch. Like A lot of people are looking at this thing and being like, hey, what is this token doing? Does it matter? Can it hold up under... Uh, macro conditions. And so the fact that it started to de-peg yesterday in the midst of Bitcoin falling means that regulators are going to be taking another look at this coin and saying, like, is this something that's dangerous for investors? Zach, I want to throw this up to you. Obviously, a huge midweek story after we've already had like three other stories this week. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are pretty grim right now, right? You're looking at uh, crypto market cap sinking by something like 16% overnight, right? So a lot of wealth in the crypto world being destroyed, a lot of paper wealth kind of going up in flames. So in times like this, stable coins, especially, I mean, not just the algorithmic stable coins, but stable coins like Tether or USDC see additional pressure. And oftentimes they slip from their peg a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see if they can ride it out, get back to that dollar mark. Uh, but Tether losing its peg is something that can occur and is something that's a bit scary for crypto markets as they sort of reckon with these moments of mass panic. So it's going to be interesting to see the Tether thing unfold. It's also you know, going to be interesting to see 
what happens now, right? I mean, the Luna story has been really captivating. Other assets in the market are also looking down quite a bit. Are we entering again that cyclical crypto market reality that we kind of find ourselves in every three, four years? Is this the beginning of that long slog that we all experienced the last time around? It's going to be interesting to see if it's more compressed, if it's just the same, if the physics, the crypto markets continue to recreate themselves four year cycle after four year cycle. That's sort of where I think people are looking ahead now and thinking about what's next. George, I'm going to toss it to you though. Sure. I do want to mention one thing for at risk of sounding like a tether stan. A peg is not necessarily the open market price. So USDT tether for all its opacity does seem to be processing these redemptions as regular course of business. And their, their CTO said as much. And, and that's that. The market dip does say something, though. And maybe someone was trying to pull a UST on USDT. But the likelihood of that happening just leaps and bounds harder than it is for UST. As Will said, this is the biggest stablecoin, and it is by far the biggest stablecoin. And the difference between UST and USDT is USDT is collateralized. Maybe we don't know exactly by what, but there's something to go back to. And Algo Stable and a collateralized coin are not the same. So I, for one, am not afraid of Tether losing its peg. Not saying that's what you guys were implying, but that is what I will be saying. Jen, anything you to imply- add to George, are you implying that I was fucking You're tether? a truther. Come on You're now. a tether truther. <laughs> I am no, no stablecoin truther, sir. But thank you for walking around that gently. I appreciate it. Jen, back to you. I, first of all, George, I love that you said, if you don't believe me, that's what Investopedia says. Just, you know, telling all those people in the comments, go check Investopedia. So when I was reading this, I thought about an article we spoke about three weeks ago where Tether CTO Paolo Arduino was commenting on UST and outlining the risk of algorithmic stable coins. And now the spotlight has kind of been shone back on, on the Tether project. I have a question for all of you. I think as people who are just learning about stable coins and who are looking at this story, see what's happened with UST, see now what's happening with USDT, although they're kind of very different scenarios. Can we expect USDC to depeg from the dollar anytime soon? A brief depegging either up or down can happen in any of these coins. So sure, it could happen. Again, USDC has a little bit more transparency in their reporting than, than Tether does. So I guess I have more faith in the reporting uh, clarity that USDC has, but USDT has the history. So I, I mean, USDC is fine. I think so, at least. Run this back if I'm wrong. So, Will, anything to add there? Yeah, Kaiko ran a really great newsletter this morning about what happened with USDT, just talking about like why the peg broke. And it does matter a lot. Like, why does the stablecoin that everyone is using break and why did it happen now? And their observations really came down to like where the liquidity sits. And they looked across like 12 different exchanges. They looked at the peg uh, for, uh, for these exchanges and like the inflows and outflows, the bids and asks for Tether at the time versus USD. Because that's really the market is USDT versus USD, the dollar. And why did this spread happen? If you look at different exchanges, it looks like it just happened on a few where there was low liquidity, there was high volume at the same time, and that caused like a spread to be created. So this really was a market phenomenon. It wasn't really anything else besides that. And luckily, Bitfinex and others were able to counter that in a very natural way. They just added some bids, people started taking the ARB there, and before you know it, the peg was back in the same spot. I think with these stable coins, especially the asset-backed stable coins like USDC or USDT, there's not really a concern about like the the peg depegging like we're going away for quite a while. 
because there's always an arb there. And as long as there's redemptions, which Tether is still processing, and there's not really concern. The big concern, like you just noted there, George, is if that asset is actually there and if it can be processed in time. And that's what all these Tether truthers are always going after. Like, is there funds in the bank account somewhere for my Tether to be redeemed? And for the most part, I don't think the market agrees that there is that asset. And like you said, USDC does a really good job of showing those reserves exist. USDT has done a better job in the past than showing that those reserves exist. So I don't think this is like anything different going forward. I think like this is going to be like safe. It's going to be a safe market going forward. Zach, I'll give it to you though for next story. No, that was a solid breakdown. I think we're tossing it to Jen for the next story, however. I'll take it away. All right. So crisis mode is still happening when it comes to Terra. Terra has proposed a token burn to increase the pool size and halt UST dilution. The idea here is that decreasing the amount of UST in circulation and increasing available Luna is the easiest way to re-peg the token. So validators of the network can vote on this proposal and the yes side has received a 50.47% vote. Now, my question for you, George, or Will, whoever wants to take it, is why would a validator vote against this proposal? Who, who is voting on this? I, I just don't think there's any coming back. It's really over. I mean, the mechanism of burning or minting UST and Luna works until it doesn't. And once it stops not working, it's kind of over. So I don't even know who's voting on this kind of stuff. I guess theoretically, if you cut the supply of Luna all the way down to one Luna and it was worth like a million dollars a Luna, I guess that could theoretically maybe get us there. But I don't know. I think the mechanism is broken. I don't think any coming back. So I don't know who's voting on this. Well, <laughs> yeah, isn't Luna trading like under a cent at this point? Like, I think the whole thing is broken. And it's funny to see this in crypto, right? Because what they're doing is they're pulling like the leverages and uh, buttons that central bankers also push, which is like the supply and demand. And like, how can we make these things turn so that the price goes up or price remains stable, price goes where we want it to be. And they're finding out really quickly that it's very hard to do. And it often does not turn out how you want it to happen, right? They're, they're pushing it one way and it breaks. And we're seeing this in the macro environment right now too, right? Inflation is hitting 8% uh, for the month. Last year, they're saying inflation was transitory. Big players, then central banks can't even make this work. Why would someone uh, running a stable coin uh, out of Singapore in, in a WeWork be able to do this either, right? So look at this chart right here, running a cent for Luna. That's, that's not what you want to see, right? This should be a one-to-one -one backing with Terra and doesn't work because you can't just like keep pushing things one way or the other. There was some nice reporting this morning showing that uh, Luna's supply has actually just increased by multiples over the last few hours. The Luna supply was in the millions yesterday. It's into the multi-billions today just because the mechanism is trying to create Luna to back all the UST that is outstanding. And it's just not working, right? You increase Luna, well, that causes more push down on the price of Luna. And that's where you get the sub-cent price for Luna. Where it was, you know, $80 plus, uh, not only like a week ago, but like even a few months ago, it was even higher than that. One of the like worst charts I've ever seen in crypto, and it seems to only keep going down. It's finding new floors crash through. George, give it back to you. Yeah, small summary of what you just said. The whole ecosystem needs to burn UST to mint Luna, but it also needs to burn Luna to mint UST. And you just can't do both. So it seems like it's doing the minting of Luna faster than it's burning the UST and vice versa. So yeah, that's what a death spiral is. It's what we're seeing here. It's a uh, it's really sad, honestly. I feel no remorse for any VCs or 
people with a lot of money losing money, but regular people losing money. It's really sad. Not really the point of this, but it is sad. Well, that was one of my next questions. We've talked so much about the people angle. There are people, there are just regular retail investors who have put money into this and they've lost everything. And I think both of you have answered my question that this is not really a solve for that. It sounds like there's no coming back with this solution, at least. It's very broken and it can't be fixed. Yeah, Zach? I guess you can change rules, but... The way the stability of USD works is sort of predicated on there being demand, right? And so like in a moment of panic, when people are fleeing these markets, there's no like corresponding mechanism that can make it work at the level that it would need to work without people exhibiting a desire to provide the demand that will prop up the stability of the sister asset, UST in this case. So it's going to be, yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying. They're trying to make it happen. They're trying to make it work. They're trying to reclaim some stability here, but it's going to be really difficult. And I think, again, I think the story is the human story, right? It is a bad day for a lot of people. Tarot is pretty significantly used in uh, Korea specifically for a long while now. People have uh, you know, used this system for payments, for savings. Whatever your views are on the stability of Anchor or the, the reality of Anchor, and it's 20% you know, APYs, People saw that as a as a savings vehicle. So I think there's a lot of savings that are caught up in this project platform. And when it goes to zero, as we're seeing right now, a lot of people are making some tough choices and are probably down in the dumps emotionally. So it is important to remember that human angle. And you know, even though we're talking about sort of the weird mechanics of algorithmic stablecoins, at core, these are people making investments. Some of them are large bag holders, large VC people with huge positions in this stuff. Others are small people who are doing what they can to save a buck and maybe make a little bit of interest on it better than they can in their bank account. So the fact that this is happening is definitely it's a sad day for a lot of folks seeing this wealth just evaporate. And that's sort of a reality of the crypto markets that I think you can lose sight of in the bull run. But when the bear comes, that is the reality at hand. And we're seeing that just in that crazy chart. That's a crazy chart to look at. And it's pretty wild. But I'll kick it to Will for his last thoughts on this one. Last thoughts is I'm wondering where this story goes and ends up, right? Because I, th I think there's a few different ways to take it. What are regulators going to do in the United States? What are regulators going to do globally? Uh, I think for crypto market, we've seen that it's basically kicked off this tanking. I mean, markets were already selling off beginning of the year because of what the Fed's been doing, what's happening with equity markets. But this really put Bitcoin and really put the whole crypto ecosystem in a really tough spot. And like, how does crypto, how does Bitcoin like dig itself out of this hole? don't know at this point. Like I feel like it's sort of set us up for like a long, long haul. And I think there's a lot of people who have moved into a bear market mentality. I mean, last two, three weeks, we've seen a lot of layoffs in tech markets because of uh, what the broader ecosystem has been doing. Now, like that's even possible in crypto. I hate to say that, but that is possible just because of how contagious this fallout has been and where Bitcoin has gone because of it. But I'll leave my uh, negative thoughts there. Maybe have a happier story on the other side. All right, let's talk about some regulatory stuff. According to a document seen by Jack Schickler and verified by Coindesk, the EU is really thinking about how to regulate stablecoins. This is happening against the backdrop of some pretty crazy stuff in the crypto markets, but it's certainly not kicked off by the crazy stuff in the crypto markets. This is something that regulators the world over have been thinking about pretty closely these last, I don't know, three to six months as conversations around CBDCs and monetary policy more broadly ramp up. So this one here is how the EU is thinking about how to regulate stablecoins above, you know, a certain threshold, et cetera, et cetera, getting into the kind of nitty gritty of how a stablecoin regulation could work in the European Union. So this is interesting to see, interesting to see a leaked document in this instance, and uh, some good reporting by Jack Schickler and Nick Day on the regulatory team to get this one on the record. I will toss it to George for his thoughts. 
on the EU stablecoin approach. They've been talking about this for a while, I guess, but uh, I mean, the timing, right? The timing on this. Secretary Yellen was literally just talking about how stable coins have paved the path for CBDCs. Come on now. This is just governments and politicians acting opportunistically as they do. The big global European super government is here to save you. I have nothing more to say than that for now. So Jen, go ahead. Talk me down. All right. So the article says that national ministers who meet in a body known as the Council of the EU want to stop rivals to fiat from operating if they become too popular. So under the plans, regulators could order the issuer of any stablecoin exceeding 200 million euros and 1 million transactions daily to cease issuance until the figures come back below the thresholds. So the language here is really interesting to me, right? We talk about the human element, protecting retail investors. That's the language that's been used a lot in North America. But it, it sounds like the language here is really just getting right to the point. You know, this is a threat to the euro. And so we need to keep it within a nice bubble, within a nice framework that doesn't feel scary or fearful to us. And that's what I took away. I mean, I think that everything that's happening in the markets now is great leverage for them to maybe push some of this regulation through that maybe there would have been some more discourse around have the market not taken the turn that we've seen. But the language is so interesting and I think so truthful. We talk a lot about regulators, you know, hiding their real opinions behind really emotional language, the language we used before the break. But this just really gets right to the point. They are afraid of what this could mean for the euro. Will, what do you think? I'll take it there. My language was not emotional. It was just bearish, too bearish. For the I'm chat. emotional. So I just, I just have to be like, <laughs> I need to let the people know I'm feeling sad about what's happening. Sorry, I'm too much of a bear. I, I apologize for it. No, the interesting thing to me was looking at the quote from Adler who said, crypto has obviously rocketed up the agenda. Uh, adding that crypto is now one of the three C's that represents the top focus area for regulators alongside COVID and climate change. So it's crazy to see that crypto has moved into that spot, right? Where two, three years ago, crypto was like probably down the ladder, like maybe like 10th, 11th thing on the list. Like we'll get to it when we have some time. Like COVID obviously right up there very quickly. Climate change has been on the agenda for like over a decade at this point, right? Now crypto is right at the top. And why is it at the top? Well, it's because it's pushing the button on a lot of financial things. People are losing money, like we saw yesterday. Regular investors are losing money. And that is a big goal of these regulatory bodies is protect, protect regular investors from losing money. But it's also stable coins. And that can hurt government's ability to steer monetary policy, can hurt government's ability to track money, hurt government's ability to control their economy. And so they're also looking at it from that angle. Like you can take a little bit of a tinfoil hat look at this uh, headline if you want. And I think a lot of people will in the crypto community because that's generally what motivates people in the crypto ecosystem. And I think for, for some reason, that's good, right? Stable coins, especially things like Tether, USDC, they obviously provide value. But if government comes after them, that's really going to hurt the markets. I mean, if we saw today the, the, what happened with Tether's depegging episode, just for even a second, that has caused so much concern within the crypto industry. Imagine what would happen if we had like a blanket rollout of a stablecoin ban or a blanket rollout of some really tough regulatory action against a stablecoin. Imagine what the repercussions or ripple effects would be for the larger crypto economy. That would be super tough. So glad CoinDesk got to the story. This is only going to become more important. Also, as Europe starts adopting more stable coins, I think that's one thing that's not really included in this story is that Europe doesn't really have a large stable coin market compared to the USD backed stable coin market. And there's a lot of reasons for that we probably don't need to get into. 
But as stable coins start coming to Europe, there's going to be some regulatory action around it. Zach, I'm going to boot it up to you for your take. Yeah, it's also just uh, interesting to see, you know, different bodies within the EU considering different approaches. You have the European Commission considering a kind of a ban above a certain cap, kind of a tougher approach, I'd say. And then you have sort of the parliamentary side that basically wants to put stable coins under sort of the EU banking authority, which, which may be a bit of a softer stance. So the idea that this is being discussed at that level of granularity is interesting. But, you know, we're also seeing other headlines out there that like, you know, there needs to be sort of a global coordinated regulatory approach to stable coins emerging across these different markets, right? So this is sort of happening at the UMFIF conference where financial people talk about financial things. And this is, you know, again, this might be an interesting point of conversation as the need for sort of crypto regulation in a global and potentially coordinated manner comes up. This is a global technology, maybe a global set of rules needs to be developed. And that's what people in the financial world are talking about as we speak. George, you mentioned Yellen sort of saying, you know, CBDCs can check the rise of stablecoins themselves. I think that was earlier today, actually, she made those remarks. So it's interesting to see all these conversations unfold against the backdrop of a pretty down market. Jen, I saw your hand tossing your way. I think a global regulatory body, it makes sense if you get into the brain of a regulator, right? You think like, oh, we have this, this thing that we can't regulate because it's borderless and, and I can only do what's within the realm of my jurisdiction. It makes sense that they've come up with this solution to have a global regulatory body. I think this can only work if there is diversity of opinion, education, perspective, and experience. And I just don't see that happening. If we look at how regulation is happening just in North America or just even in the US right now, we can't get the regulatory bodies within the US to work together. And so getting the regulatory bodies within the entire planet, I think <laughs> is an interesting goal. And maybe we're focusing our energies on the wrong thing. But I think I saw both of the hands above my head go up. So I'll let you two fight it out for who goes next rock I'm paper brief. scissors you want to do it I'll, you go I'll, first no i'll just be brief the government moves very slowly within the borders of a country a big super global government there's just no way it's going <laughs> to move quick enough i mean we'll get stable coin regulation in 2035 so uh, I guess that's a good thing. Anyway, Zach, on to you. Yeah, you know, you kind of already have some global bodies, right? The Financial Action Task Force, FATF, right? They're out there uh, providing guidance for, you know, virtual asset service providers, VASPs, which is their fancy word for crypto exchanges and other crypto businesses. And that process over the last two years has kind of shown just how slow sort of global coordination can be, right? They're out here, the, the global anti-money laundering watchdog, they establish rules, but then all these different jurisdictions have to implement those rules in a way that kind of makes sense and kind of speaks to a shared set of standards. But that process has been really slow going and pretty difficult to execute in a uniform fashion. And of course, like in a market of, of countries, like some countries are going to be more friendly to crypto. They see that as a business opportunity, something that can uh, improve the standards of their economy and their citizens. But others are more hard line and think that's not advantageous for them to do that. So it is interesting to think about these global dynamics and whether or not a true sort of global regulatory framework could ever be imposed on necessarily like global technology. But anyway, for another day, I think I'm tossing it to George. George, what do you got? It's me. And I got lots of beef with people on the internet about this one, mostly because uh -oh. I respect this person's conviction, the very least. So Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund snapped up even more Coinbase stock, which has had quite a terrible year, straight down more than 75% this year. And people were getting all worked up about Coinbase adding something in their SEC filing 
outlining what might happen to the crypto that they hold in Coinbase if Coinbase were to declare bankruptcy. Naturally, the internet geniuses who really do understand the ins and outs of how these companies work and the you know three statement modelings to the T that you know Coinbase is insolvent, so they're totally going under, right? This is just wrong, right? Coinbase is actually incredibly profitable and they have $6 billion in cash on their balance sheet. They have thrown off uh, operating cash flow of over $10 billion last year, $3 billion a year before, and it's trading at a price to earnings ratio of 2.4, which is why Kathy Wood has decided, hey, I liked this when it was trading at a 10 times PE, at a five times PE. Why wouldn't I like it at a 2.5 PE, right? It makes sense that she's scooping up more. The only thing that definitely hurts in this scenario is these stocks in this you know, innovation world, which are very much tech stocks, almost exclusively tech stocks. I guess Tesla doesn't really fall as a tech stock, but it kind of is a tech stock. Those get hurt in economic downturns, and we're starting to roll into a bear market where people are starting to think, oh my God, I don't want risky assets. I need to sell all my Twilio stock. I need to sell all my Teladoc stock. I need to sell all my Tesla stock, all my Coinbase stock. So while I understand that she's going to be hurt, it makes total sense that she's scooping up more Coinbase stock. And Kathy, you might be losing money, but I admire the conviction. Anything to latch on there, guys? No, I'll pick it up there. It's pretty interesting yesterday seeing what happened with Coinbase. The coin was down like 17%. And a lot of people are pretty bearish on it, obviously, because it's basically just tracking the cryptocurrency industry as well. I think we talked about that yesterday a lot. There's two kind of headwinds hitting Coinbase, which is like equity headwinds with what's happening with the Fed and then Bitcoin price headwinds. So Bitcoin goes down, it's going to go down as well. But it does seem like possibly a good time to look at some of these stocks that are suffering a lot because they do, they're so profitable. If you look at the volumes for Coinbase last quarter, they were down considerably from the projection target. That's because a lot of the retail market dried up. But they still have a very solid balance sheet, just like you said, George. So I think going forward, what you can see and what you can expect is some of these companies that have not set themselves up for success during the bear market are going to completely sputter out. But some of them have set themselves up for success, even though they're facing some ugly numbers right now. And Coinbase seems to be in the latter camp. Jen, I'll give it to you. I just want to say, George, talking about the internet geniuses who talk about these things like they're experts, I felt personally attacked. But anyways, (laughs) I'll take it from there. I love that you brought up that disclosure that came out in the first quarter earnings that talked about Coinbase's customers as unsecured creditors should they go into a world where they have to declare bankruptcy. Because it wasn't only the internet geniuses and the people on TikTok and Twitter who, who picked this up. It was also a lot of mainstream media, you know, who were running this headline. And I can see how that would attribute to lower belief in the company and attribute to the share price going down. Coinbase said that they expect a weaker Q2, which was interesting for me when I saw that Kathy Wood had invested. And I was like, oh, they're expecting a weaker Q2. So why wouldn't you wait? But that's just me and my uneducated opinion. But I love that you uh, brought that up because that disclosure is something that is required by the SEC. It's not anything new. It's not anything novel. And a lot of people have run with that as something very unique to Coinbase and we shouldn't keep our money there because we could potentially lose it all. And it it would take, I think, a lot of different things happening before we got there and people lost all their money as an unsecured creditor to Coinbase. George, like Kathy Wood fanboy over here, did we talk about how (laughs) down ARC is? It's down like 
80%, right? So she's got to do something. And yeah. I think, you know, you're right. I think the long-term vision for what Coinbase could accomplish could make this decision really smart. And Kathy Wood will sort of reclaim her status as, you know, market's genius. But it might take a while. It might take a while for this bet to pay off. And it's going to be interesting to see how soon she's vindicated or if the haters are just going to win the day on this one. But yeah, the last bit I'll say, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, but the father <laughs> of value investing, Ben Graham, Warren Buffett, the, the acolyte of value investing, says to buy stocks when they're cheap. And theoretically, this is cheap. And if we're just looking at, you know, the, the metrics, right? I'm not going to dive into what EV EBITDA means, but the intercontinental exchange is trading at a higher multiple than Coinbase. The NASDAQ exchange is trading at a higher multiple than Coinbase. And if you view those as comparable companies, I don't know why Coinbase wouldn't be an exciting company to buy for you. So it's a value play somehow. Value investing 101 with George Galuda. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> we should just pivot Spin to that. Spin-off show. Yeah. Spin-off show. George, get this man. Please don't make me do control, it. Control, control. Can we get this man a show? This is Let's get show. that spin-off show going. All right. We'll wrap it there. We're going to workshop the title, you know, get some graphics going. We'll make it work. Anyway, that's it for The Hash today. The best show. The Hash. I'm Zach. That's George. There's Will. There's Jen. We'll be here tomorrow. Uh, we'll see what happens between now and then. Seems as though some late-rate news nothing. that Terra may have halted its blockchain. That's kind Whoa. of big. All right. Stick with us. We're The Hash. We're on the podcast network. If you don't want to watch, you can always listen. Go download it. It's The Hash for your ears. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. See you, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, The Hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.